So my name is Stephen, and I'm the young adult pastor here, along with my beautiful wife, Elise, who's here in the front row. If, if you don't know, she's the beautiful one sitting in the front right there, so if you, you couldn't figure out where she was. Um, hey, it's so great to be here. Um, when I was in, let's go ahead and, and, and open in prayer. God, we just, we thank you for what you're doing here at Grace Covenant. Lord, we thank you for just a generation that is arising, God, and finding their passion in you, Lord. And we just, we pray that, Lord, right now you would speak, that you would open up our hearts. You would take us to the next level, God, individually and as a ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I went to uh, a school a couple hours away, Virginia Tech, and when I was in uh, college, got a one hokey there, all right? Um, when I was in college, we bunch of our friends who went to hiking in the Shenandoah Mountains. And I'm not a big outdoor hiker. Like, you know, I go every once in a while, but I'm not, like, I think I did Cub Scouts like, two years when I was like nine and 10, but I forgot everything that I, that I learned in that two-year span. So when we went out hiking, um, I was really relying on the group of friends I was with for like building a fire and, you know, setting up the tent. The problem was the guys that I was with were equally not as knowledgeable, okay? So um, we're, you know, setting things up. We got kind of a later start than, than we had wanted. And one of the guys kind of looked around and said, man, it, you know, it's getting kind of dark. Like, maybe we, should, maybe we should set up some tents and set up a fire. And as soon as he said that, it was like this, the clouds started moving really fast. And, and the trees started rustling, and it got really windy all of a sudden. And within about 10 minutes, like, it was really dark, and it started to rain. And then it proceeded to, like, downpour rain. And at this point, I, I did what you would have done. I freaked out because I literally thought that I was going to catch hypothermia. And, like, I mean, I, I didn't come prepared at all. I literally had... I think I was borrowing a friend's tent. I didn't have a sleeping bag. So I, I thought I was going to be outside in the rain, in the dark, shivering. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys in our group who we didn't know too well just like emerges, like straight Bear grill style. And he just starts building this fire in the middle of the downpouring rain. And I didn't think that was even possible. Like to me, if it's, if we're going to have some s'mores after this. If it's raining, like, in my mind, like, s'mores are off. We're not building a fire <laughs> in, in the rain. But for this guy, I mean, like, he just built this, like, little covering over the fire, and it was dry, and he starts, and within about 10 minutes in the pouring down rain, he had, like, a blazing fire going. And, you know, all of us wanted to jump in and, like, help him, you know, but we just sat, sat there and just watched with our jaws dropped as this guy proceeded to set up all of our tents for us. And it was, it was in that moment that, um, like, I was super happy that I had an experienced hiker with me to kind of help me navigate going up that mountain. And, you know, I don't know what the last couple months have been like for you, what you're going through, but for me personally, I find myself in a place where the combination of things that I'm involved with, with family and job and school, I have increasingly realized that the person that I am is not big enough for the circumstances that I'm facing. Like, I need to go to another level. And maybe for you with 
a relationship, like you've been stuck in the same place for a couple years and that relationship isn't going anywhere. Maybe it's a job where, in, like in this video, you've been going to the same job, waking up at 5 a.m., commuting an hour to D.C. or an hour and a half or two hours, and then getting back. <laughs> Somebody can testify to that. Getting back at like 8 p.m. and just wondering, is there, is there something more than this? Can I go to another level? Is, if I've been put on this earth to do more than just serve some government contractor? Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk afterwards, okay? I can tell, like, we might have to have a personal, like, ministry moment. Um, but you're, yeah, you're feeling it right now, I can tell. Um, but what about your finances? Like, maybe you have just thousands of dollars of debt and you need God to move in your finances. We all need to go up. We need to go up a level. And thankfully, we're not the first people who've kind of wrestled with this question of how do we go up? There's a story in Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus and his disciples were in the situation where these disciples didn't have it in of themselves to solve a problem that was in front of them. And if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 14. My hope from this time is that by looking at this story, we can apply some things to our lives and how to go to the next level. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 through 21. You, are prob- you might be familiar with this story if you've been going to church for a while, but maybe this might be new for you. It says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave it to them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up the twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who were about and those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. This passage opens up with, now when Jesus heard this, the news that he got was that his best friend, John the Baptist, had died. John the Baptist was this really incredible minister. It was a little bit unusual. He had a leather belt. He had camel uh, uh, hair for clothes. He ministered out. Like For us, we're starting a young adult ministry. We're trying to make it as easy for you as possible to get here. But for John the Baptist, he went out to the wilderness to start his ministry. But this man was so anointed and his message was so powerful that people were flocking from all over Israel to come here. And he, started, he had this message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Basically, the reign and the rule of God is here. And that means that you need to turn and change the way that you think and turn to God. That was his message. And his message resonated with people because they were looking for something. They were looking for something more. They were looking for someone to lead them out of the situation that they were in. And Jesus and John were were cousins. They were around the same age. John the Baptist had actually baptized Jesus. They knew each other well. 
And there came a point in time when this ruler of that nation of, of, or that area, Galilee, he didn't like John the Baptist very much because John was, he was preaching this message. And, and there came a, a moment where his stepdaughter was, was dancing and it was at this party and, and she impressed him. And he said, you know what? Anything that you want, I'm going to give it to you. And she said, I want the head of John the Baptist. And in front of this whole party, Herod didn't want to go back on his word. And so he served up to her, John the Baptist's head. And Jesus hears this news that his best friend, his ministry partner, the one who had baptized him is now dead. And he received that news much like you would receive the news if your best friend died. See, we forget that Jesus was a human being. Yes, he was God, but he experienced the same things that we as humans experience. During the 40 days in the wilderness when he was fasting, he felt hunger. When he sent out his disciples to go preach the gospel and they came back with, with success, he felt joy. When his friend Lazarus died, the shortest verse, if you want to memorize the verse, it's the shortest one in the Bible, Jesus wept, okay? <laughs> Everybody can memorize that verse. But that was the pain that, that he experienced at the news of his friend dying. And so this was no different. He was having a bad day. What do you do on a bad day? If you got that news, what would you do? I'd probably go and hide in my room. But when Jesus heard this, verse 13, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Jesus recognized the source of his power, the place that he was going to find perspective and comfort during his worst day was with God. And for us, that might be a good starting place. If we want to go to the next level, if we're trying to find a perspective in the midst of what we're going through, to start with being alone with God. And the crowds had a completely different reaction than Jesus. Look what it says in Matthew 14, the crowds. It says, when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. See, the people, they were, they were confused. John the Baptist was a prophetic voice. It was like Martin Luther King Jr. had just died or JFK had just died. I mean, that was the impact in that area. And so now they're looking for answers and they're going to Jesus, the only person that they think can give them answers. And in the midst of a crowd, their motivations were probably pretty varied. I mean, some people were trying to get comforted. Maybe some people had heard about Jesus doing miracles and healings. And so they thought maybe he might have an answer. Maybe some really believed he was the son of God. But in this, in this crowd, in this room, I'm sure there's different motivations for why you're here. Maybe for some of you, you saw a really cool promo video. Maybe you're here to meet a girl, which judging by the ratio, you have a pretty good shot. Um, although don't, you didn't hear that from me. Um, maybe you're here because you want to cross a religious checkbox off. And you think, man, if I get Saturday night and Sunday morning, like that's, God will really be impressed with that. Or maybe you really genuinely want to encounter Jesus. The crowds came with different motives, but they came to Jesus. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw this great crowd and he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. When Jesus had a need, his brother or his cousin just died. He saw this crowd and all of a sudden their needs became more important than his needs. See, the writer Matthew was making it very clear that this Jesus, this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth is very different than you and I because he thinks about other people. 
in the lowest of lows, he's thinking, here's a big group of people. I have compassion for them. There's so many people here who are sick, who need healing. There's so many people here who need to receive this kingdom. And Jesus spends the whole day healing these, the sick in the crowd. Now, the disciples are just like you and I. Now, some of them had followed John the Baptist first. They were disciples of John before they switched over to Jesus. So they were very familiar with John. They were good friends with John. They felt his death in the same way that Jesus felt it. And so it says in verse 15, when it was evening, the disciples came to him, to Jesus, and said, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus, we're really impressed that while we're going through this, you had the compassion to heal people. That's really great. You're a better person than us. But now that the day's over, can we just like get these people out and we move on and kind of just end this healing event and just move on with our lives? Because like we're hurting. When the disciples are met with a need, they dismiss the need as not their own. This crowd is not their problem. The people that are in front of them aren't as important as their needs, what they're going through. This is us. We're so bothered by the length of our commute that every day we look past the hurting people that are on the bus and the metro. We're so obsessed that our bank account isn't where we want it that we pass by an opportunity to give, hoping that one day we'll have that perfect amount so that we can actually give. We're so consumed by our needs in a relationship not being met by that other person in the relationship that we forget to serve the person that we're committed to. Verse 16, Jesus said, they need not go away, you give them something to eat. And I don't want you to miss what Jesus says here. Because what Jesus says, this command is jaw-dropping. He looks at the disciples and he basically tells them first that the crowd's need is really their need. That homeless guy that you walk by every day to work is your need. His need for food is now your need to provide for him. That's, if you have a sick family member, you realize that when that family member is sick, it's no longer just what they're experiencing. You as a family experience that. Someone else's need becomes your need. And Jesus looks at these disciples and says, this crowd's problem of not being, of not being fed you do something about it. He expects the disciples to fix this problem. See, all of us want to go up, and I would suggest to you that we need to go up, but not for ourselves. We need to go up for the people around us. We need to go up for our coworkers. We need to go up for our family. We need to go up for our friends who are hurting and who are looking for answers. And if the only reason why you want to go up is for you, it's a pretty good indication that it's not that your salary that needs to go up. It's not your promotion level at work that needs to go up. It's an indicator that your understanding of your purpose needs to go up, that your compassion meter needs to go up, and that your selfishness level, our selfishness level, needs to go down. Yes, we need to go up, but the next level for us isn't for us. It's for somebody else. Verse 17, they said to him, the disciples, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And man, I can so identify with these disciples. 
I mean, to give you kind of a modern day equivalent of what five loaves and two fish are, during that time, a loaf of bread was the size of a hamburger bun. And these fish are about the size of an inch and a half. And John, who tells this story as well, he gives a parallel account. He says that th- these five loaves and two fish were a little boy's. Basically, what he was bringing to the table was his lunch. These five loaves and two fish weren't enough to feed the 12 disciples and Jesus, let alone 5,000 men. And if you dig a little bit deeper, it wasn't just 5,000 people. It was 5,000 men, which means that there was probably another 10,000, 15,000 women and children. So you're looking at 20 to 25,000 people. And the disciples say, hey, Jesus, we got a little boy's lunch. We got a Big Mac and some fries. You know, I would suggest to you that what's in your hands is five loaves and two fish. And I'm really sorry if that offends you, but our education at the top public schools or wherever you went to school or your job that, you know, makes five figures or six figures, whatever you bring, whatever talents you have, whatever skills, skills you have, for other people, it's just five loaves and two fish. It's not enough to feed. I mean, when you have a person that's a family member who's dying of cancer, or you have a coworker who's stuck in depression, how is what your education level or your salary, how can that fix what they're going through? It can't. And that's what the disciples are feeling. They're feeling that what they have isn't enough. They can't, I mean, their five loaves and two fish are a drop in the bucket. And it's what makes Jesus, his command for them to feed this crowd so outrageous. Jesus looks at them and he says, bring them here to me. You know what he asked for? He asked for all of what they have. He doesn't ask for three loaves and one fish. He said, the little that you have, I want it all. Five loaves and two fish. Because discipleship following Jesus is all or nothing. You can't pick and choose. Like, you can't say, Jesus, I'm going to give you everything except that relationship. Jesus, I'm going to give you everything except how I handle my money. Jesus, I'm going to give you everything except I have the next five years of my life mapped out, and I really want you to take over after those five years. (laughs) Jesus wants it all. And the way to go to the next level, the way to go up, is really to go down. It's to surrender. It's to come to Jesus in humility and say, God, what I have isn't enough. I need you to take all of it. You can have my life. You can have my relationships. You can have my money. You can have my dreams and ambitions. And Jesus takes these five loaves and two fish. In verse 19, he orders the crowd to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looks up to heaven and says a blessing. And then he broke the loaves. I've found that when I surrender to God, my dreams, my bank account, my job, oftentimes he takes those things and he breaks them in front of me. The prayers that I prayed to get into this school, Jesus broke. Those prayers that, God, I want to marry that woman, Jesus broke. That prayer, God, I just, I just want this job. If I can just get this job, it's the perfect situation. It's, this, it's 10 minutes away from my house. It pays this much. Jesus broke. 
what right does this Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago, what right does he have to command us to do something about the needs of those around us? What right does he have to ask us for everything, our dreams, our relationships, our finances? What right does he have to, once he has those things, to break them in front of us? Well, look at the rest of this passage. He takes those loaves and gives them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. In verse 20, and they all ate and were satisfied. The disciples get these loaves, and as they begin to distribute them, this miracle happens. And you know, if you look at some scholars who are called critical scholars, they have an explanation for this. Their explanation, one of the explanations is, well, maybe um, the little boy who gave us five loaves and two fish, Jesus had asked people to bring what they had, and only this little boy stepped up. And once they saw that this little boy stepped up, everybody else pulled out their lunch too, and they all ate. That's legitimately a rationale for what happened by some scholars. But that's not what happened. What happened is, as these disciples began to pull these loaves out of their baskets and distribute them, they kept pulling and they kept distributing. They kept pulling and they kept distributing. And all of a sudden, I, I, it's not in here, but I would imagine there was an uproar from the crowd as they realized that all of a sudden, all this food is coming from seemingly nowhere. People are pass, passing loaves of bread. They're passing fish. Kids are celebrating. Dads are in utter unbelief. They're thinking they're going to have to make a three-day journey to get some food. And now all of a sudden, everybody has enough. They all ate and were satisfied. And there's something about following Jesus is he has an ability to make sure that every single person is taken care of. That that depression that you have, that anxiety that you have, that loneliness that you're experiencing, Jesus has a way to make sure in a room like this that every single person gets what they need. See, this crowd was Jewish, which meant they knew the Old Testament. They knew the stories of Moses and Elijah. And Moses had fed the whole nation of Israel with manna and quail. But that had come from God. And Elijah, one of the greatest prophets, Elijah had gone to this widow of Zarephath who had just oil and, and a little bit of wheat. And he had made it last for days. But this was something altogether different. Because Jesus had just fed 20,000, 25,000 people. And he didn't, he had done it himself. What he was proving in that moment and what everybody had a realization in that moment is, wait a second, this guy's better than Moses and Moses is our beloved prophet. This guy's better than Elijah and Elijah is one of our heroes. This guy is the one that the Old Testament points to. This is Jesus, the son of God. See, Jesus could command the disciples to meet the hungry crowd's needs because he had spent the whole day healing the crowd after his best friend had died. Jesus could ask the disciples to give all of their loaves and fish because he had given all of himself by coming to this earth. Jesus could break the loaves in front of the disciples because his body in just one year later would be broken on the cross for their sins and for our sins. Jesus, in that moment, proved that he is the bread of life, 
that he is the son of God and that anybody who comes to him spiritually hungry can be filled. It says, they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. See, Jesus wanted the five loaves and the two fish from the disciples because he wanted to feed 5,000 that were there and give each one of those disciples a basket full of leftovers. And today, there, I know there's some things that are really valuable to you that you're not sure if you really want to hand over to Jesus. But Jesus has a way of taking what's most valuable to you and breaking it and then transforming it and molding it and then giving it back to you so that you can distribute to everybody around you and that so that you have something left over afterwards. See, there was 12 baskets left over and there were 12 disciples, which means every disciple got a leftover basket. Every single one of these men were taken care of. And now Jesus is looking at us. He's looking at us to come to another level, to look beyond our needs and meet the needs of those around us. He's looking for us and he's asking for us to give all of our lives so he can truly work through us. He's breaking those unhealthy relationships, those myopic dreams, our dependency on money, so that he can remake what we have, multiply it, and fill it, fill those who are hungry around us. He is, like my friend, that experienced hiker, beckoning beckoning us to come to another level and taking us to the next level, not by leading us up, but by leading us down in humility and dependence on him so that he can exalt us and lift us up. And now we have a choice. We can continue to climb on our own, take our five loaves and two fish and live our lives just trying to feed ourselves with those meager portions, or we can give what's most valuable to us to Jesus and allow him to transform it so that we can meet the needs of those around us. We can humble ourselves by taking that plunge downward with him, allowing him to transform our lives and multiplying what we have so we can be fed and we can feed others around us. Starts by spending time with him, surrendering your life to him, every day getting in his word. See, we are the podcast generation, the celebrity pastor generation. You know, you realize like I have to be probably the most insecure person because you've listened to about 10,000 other pastors this week. And yet we, we dabble here, we dabble there. And yet what Jesus is asking is for us to be committed, to go to that next level with him, to spend time with him and not look to a celebrity pastor or not look to our pastor here or to our friend who really reads the Bible or or that person we know who's super holy, but to look to Jesus to be fed, to get in this word every day, to spend time with him, to allow the bread of life, Jesus, to nourish our souls so that we can feed those around us. Let's pray. Maybe you're here today, and if you're completely honest, you are not a believer of Jesus, or maybe you are, but you know your life doesn't look anything like what a believer's life should look like. It starts today by surrendering, by waving up the white flag and saying, God, I give you my life. I'm not gonna hike this mountain anymore by myself. And if that's you, I wanna pray for you. Could you just raise your hand tonight? 
just pray after me. Say, God, I'm sorry for the way I've lived. I've been trying to do this on my own, and it hasn't worked. Today, Lord, I choose to surrender to you. Come into my life. Change me. I believe that you died and resurrected Jesus. And now I receive you as my bread of life. Maybe you're here today and, and you are a Christian, but you'd say, Stephen, if I'm being completely honest, there's an area of my life, it's a part of my fish or my loaves that I haven't given to Jesus. I want you just to take this moment and just confess that to him right now. Just ask for his forgiveness. Surrender everything to him. God, we thank you that you don't just ask for everything because you're a tyrant, because you're a ruler, a mean ruler, but God, because you're our father and you know what's best for us and you have plans to, that are so much better than ours. And so Lord, today, on this first young adult service, we just say as a community, God, we give all to you.